concerned with Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's bad with money with Gabe S. Done. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm Gabe S. Dunn. I'm your host. If you want to email us, you can email us at GabeIsBadWithMoney at gmail.com. You can also send a voice memo over. We have a few voice memos today. You can also become a patron at Patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn, where you can hear all of these episodes ad-free, baby. Ad-frickin-free. To celebrate, here are some patrons. Dan, Jen, Elizabeth, Chris, Maggie, KT, Stephanie, Quill, Pleasant Enough, and Hannah. I like that your name is Pleasant Enough. Yeah, so thank you so much for being patrons of the show. And thank you so much for all the love that I've received on the Truth About My Finances episode. I really appreciate it. Let's hit it on one of those voicemails. Let's let's get George on the mail. Hey, Gabe. This is George. I love your show. I just wanted to send in a quick voice memo since... You talked a couple times recently and various times in the past on the podcast about checking your mail and how much it sucks. But I wanted to say that my feelings about this has changed kind of recently because in the past year, not once, not twice, but three times, I have received unexpected checks in the mail that I was rightfully owed apparently but i just i don't know i didn't expect them one was from one of the states i pay taxes to i guess they had like a i don't know a surplus or something after filing taxes so like a few months after tax filing i got like a 350 dollars check from them and i'm really glad i checked it because that was money i am happy to use and i just got another one from my insurance for 150 dollars I don't know why. I guess I paid for something that I didn't have to. I don't really know. But yeah, and actually the third time was for a rebate on my contact lenses that I had forgotten about. And unfortunately, that one voided 90 days after receiving. And I was not able to cash it because I hadn't checked my mail. And I did try to check it or cash it. It went through at first, but then a few days later it bounced, which I expected because it said very clearly that it would be void. I just was kind of hoping that whatever system they used to check that would malfunction and let me keep the 80 bucks. But anyway, this has definitely, you know, made things a little bit, made it a little more exciting to check the mail since there's apparently several avenues that I just weren't on my radar for me to get handed money back for some reason. Anyway, hopefully that makes some listeners a little more excited and less apprehensive about checking the mail. Sometimes good things can happen to you through it. (laughs) Thanks a lot for all your work and effort on this podcast and JBU too. I'm a huge fan of that podcast as well. All right. Bye. And then we have a part two from George if we want to play that as well. Hey, just I wanted to update on this. I'm listening to the recording and realizing it sounds like I just got a tax return and didn't realize what a tax return was. I I do realize what a tax return was. That was some 
surplus thing that the state, I guess, had for everyone. Like, I already got my return, and this was, like, a few months later, and I assume that everyone in the state who filed taxes probably got a proportionally similar check back, or maybe not even proportionally. It could have been 350 for everyone. I don't know. But, yeah, no, I just... Did, it, it sounded like I filed my taxes and just didn't know what a tax return was and then was excited when I got a check in the mail. That's not what happened. <laughs> just clearing that up. Okay, that's that's really adorable. Yeah, I mean, look, there are benefits to opening your mail. Sometimes you get a rebate for your contact lenses. That's not something you could have ever predicted. My co-host on JBU, Allison, and my producer, Melissa, both hate the mail. I think for cleanliness reasons because who knows what the mail has touched. But if you risk it, if you put on some gloves and you risk it, you might get a a, a not a tax rebate, a something else that is not tax. It's not a tax rebate or it's not your money back from taxes. It's something else. I do also enjoy that. It sounded like you recorded the first part like in your house and then the second part like while walking somewhere as if you were walking and were like, oh God, I sound dumb. I got to do this again. It's very endearing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because when I'm looking to work with someone, I really need to be able to get someone fast. My job works very fast. Podcasts work very fast. And I've actually been looking for an assistant and I don't need to waste time sorting through matches without getting the highest quality person, right? When I'm looking to hire someone, whether that's a grant writer or a musician or something like that, it's very overwhelming because you get a lot of messages, but you're not able to like parse through yourself which ones are actually worth looking at. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work. Taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. 
one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time-consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances, you can collaborate on your budget, you can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now get an extended 30 day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash bad money for your extended 30-day free trial. Okay, let's get into this, our email for today, which I say our email because it is a very long email. Here we go. Hi, Gabe. Super sorry to hear about your current sitch. I've listened since the beginning and know how hard you've worked to get where you are. You'll come to your own conclusion about what to do, and it sounds so hard to have to choose between an unfair deal and potentially losing out altogether. I'm really impressed by your strength in sharing the situation. If something like what you are going through happened to a close friend, I would be on a plane the next instant to sit with them and listen to them talk through every angle and option. I hope the wonderful people in your life are stepping up to be there for you now. They are. Thank you. 
The rest of what's in this email is about my experience, which might be helpful to share with your listeners as they consider how to purchase a home with someone who isn't a spouse. I wanted to write this down and send it to you because as a first-time home buyer without rich parents, it was really hard to find digestible, practical information about the logistics of buying a house. If you don't have it in you to read a bunch of stuff about home buying right now, please stop reading this. I will not be offended. No, that's okay. Okay. And it's thorough. So here we go, guys. Here's the home buying section. I am not a lawyer, and this is not legal advice. This is from my personal experience as I've purchased two homes with people I am not married to, one that I live in with my partner and one that I help my mom buy. Home buying seems like one of the many things where people with familial wealth have an advantage. Because of the role that real estate plays in financial portfolios, rich parents tend to buy and sell multiple homes and get experience with the ins and outs of the process. They can then teach their kids or step in to help them. Parents who aren't rich either never purchase a home or do it once and live in the same house for decades. They don't have the practical knowledge to pass on or to apply to their kids' home purchases. In my case, my mom bought a house with a subprime mortgage in 2001. She avoided foreclosure by the skin of her teeth. However, she didn't have practical knowledge to pass on to me other than what not to do. She had a string of bad mortgages that resulted in the balance on her mortgage when we sold the place after 20 years being the same as the original purchase price. Honestly, I still don't fully understand how she pulled that off. On the lessons I learned, one, mortgages and deeds and titles can have different people on them. Yep, I know that. That is true. For any newbies, the definitions of these terms are mortgage, the loan you take on to buy a home that you can't afford to purchase outright. Deed, the physical document stating the ownership of the property. Title, more complex, so I'll quote Rocket Mortgage's language here. A legal term that refers to your ownership of a home and the responsibilities that come with that ownership. If you've ever heard the phrase having title to the deed in a legal setting, that kind of captures the relationship between those two items. A title gives you legal ownership of the deed that is the physical paperwork that states you own the property. In my case, I have different responsibility for the mortgage than my stake in the title. For the house I live in with my partner, we are both listed as borrowers on the mortgage and we have a type of title called tenancy in common. This type of title allowed us to specify the share of the property we have, which is a 60-40 split where I have the majority. Oh God, this would have been really helpful for me. I put down the 20% down payment and paid for more than half the cost for renovations. He contributed a lot of sweat equity and skilled labor to the renovations. If we hadn't specified the 60-40 split, which was documented and notarized in our closing paperwork, the default for a tenancy and common title is to divide it equally by the number of owners. Our paperwork also includes information about what would happen if one party needed to buy out the other and a clause about what we would do if we broke up and were at odds. It involves a coin flip, and we even specified which one of our friends would be the coin flip mediator. For the house I purchased with my mom, I did something that probably sounds really bad on paper. I co-signed the mortgage, but I am not on the title to the house. In an extreme case, this means that she could sell the house, take the money, and leave me with the responsibility to continue paying the mortgage. I feel very comfortable that she won't do this because she's a terrible liar and it's unlikely that the last 36 years have been an elaborate ruse of her pretending to be a devoted mother on the off chance I would eventually help her buy a house in this way. Still, I don't recommend that anyone else structure a home purchase the way I did with my mom. Two, you can back out at any time until the purchase. When you have an offer accepted on a house, you can usually put down some amount of money, one to 3% of the price of the property, as earnest money, in quotes. This is so you have some skin in the game during the period of time between the offer and when you sign the final purchase paperwork to show the seller you aren't wasting their time. When I was looking to buy a house, that framework made it feel like I wouldn't get that money back if I decided a place we put an offer on wasn't as great as I thought on the house tour. I was shocked to learn that until final closing docs are signed, I could pull out at any time and get that money back. 
So for anyone in the future, if you get cold feet about buying a house with your partner or in the process of getting approved for a mortgage reveals something surprising about their finances, or if you do the home inspection and find out there's something wrong with the house, you can change your mind, stop the process and move on with your life. The only money you will lose in that scenario is the cost of the home inspection. Three, home inspection is really, really, really important. During the period between putting an offer in and closing, you have the chance to have the home inspected. The home inspection is where you may find that there are issues with the home that you will have to pay for once you purchase it. These could be minor, stuck windows, appliance placement is not up to code, or major, foundation issues that require major construction intervention. A home inspection results in a report with the findings, and if you back out of the sale, any future potential buyers have the ability to read that report. Because of this, you have some leverage, and you can use the report to negotiate credits that lower the price that you pay for the house. Before buying my house, I thought of home inspection as a thing you do to check a box, but it's actually very important and worth spending time and money to find a really good inspector. Yes, for my house, it was listed at 200K, but we ended up buying it for 190 because because we had an inspection. And then the house was appraised for 205. So actually the house was appraised for over what it had been listed as. And then we got it for 190. So we actually ended up getting like a, a house that was appraised for more. In my case, a friend recommended a really great home inspector. He spent about seven hours inspecting our place and his 42-page report cited a ton of issues with the house. Tree roots had infiltrated the sewer line, a leaky faucet had led to damage to an entire wall in the kitchen, etc. We paid him around $1,200 and we used his report to effectively reduce the purchase price of our house by 40 k In markets that are really hot, aka a seller's market, the seller may want you to waive your right to have the home inspected in your offer letter as a way to make your offer stand out. Based on my experience, I highly recommend finding a well-reviewed home inspector and not skipping this step. Four, if you are buying a place with an HOA, a homeowner's association, look into it. If the property you put an offer in on has an HOA, you can request documentation of the HOA charter and records related to the HOA's finances. This is important because some HOAs have unexpected restrictions about what you can do with your home, and they can also be poorly managed. I put a lot of effort into researching this when buying the condo with my mom because the condo she lived in for 20 years had a corrupt HOA. Over the years she lived in that place, people in leadership on the HOA had embezzled their money and the HOA went bankrupt a few times. This meant they didn't have the funds to pay for general HOA stuff, maintenance, I guess, and they jacked up the HOA fees. This happened multiple times and by the time she left, the HOA fee was over $400 a month, which was more than 50% of her mortgage payment. Wow. With that experience, I made sure we reviewed all of the HOA-related docs we had access to when buying her new place. The charter covers things like if the HOA allows you to rent your home out long-term or short-term, if you need approval to make changes to the home, if you can store your bicycle on your patio, etc. These are all real examples of things that some HOAs limit, by the way. I also looked into the new HOA's finances to see what type of insurance coverage they had, what my mom's responsibility would be for roof or utility issues, and how much money they had in the bank to address urgent issues. It all checked out. However, even with all that research, they did not have to disclose that they were planning to raise the fee by $50 a month, which my mom got surprised by in her second month living there. Five, there's a lot of paperwork and you have to check it. Throughout the home purchase process, there are tons of things you need to sign. It's very annoying to read this stuff, but you should. And at the very, very least, when it comes to closing documents, you need to read those really closely. There were several mistakes in the documents for both of the homes I closed on, and we had to get new paperwork and re-sign both times. When you close on a house, what that means logistically is that you meet with someone with the ability to notarize documents and then you sign a mountain of paperwork. The people I worked with were really nice and knowledgeable, 
but they wanted to get the job done as quickly as possible. Don't let them rush you. Mistakes at this time are not some little thing that'll probably be fine. These are the documents that determine who owns what share of the house, how much you are paying for it, what you owe on your mortgage. Review the paperwork, make sure it's what you are expecting, and stop the process if something looks wrong. In my case, the initial closing docs for the home I share with my partner had the percentage of ownership mixed up, which I blame on misogyny. Hell yeah, that's probably true. For my mom's place, on the first try, they had the incorrect type of title and had me listed as the title holder. Six, owning a home can be more expensive than renting. When I was first buying a place, I thought the cost of owning it would be the mortgage price. In my case, I thought the total would be about $2,300 per month split with my partner. As I went through the process, I realized the monthly cost was actually the mortgage plus taxes and insurance, so $2,900 a month. After living here for three years, the cost is turning out to be $2,009 a month plus another $18,000 a year on other projects, upgrading the HVAC, maintaining the trees. Some of these projects are optional, like replacing the chain link fence around our yard with a nicer fence, but make a huge difference in quality of life, $12,000. Some are necessary, like fixing our fireplace because the chimney was leaning and likely to fall over in the coming years, also $12,000. Our house is 100 years old and we have a large yard, so this is likely higher than other uh, than others it would be in other circumstances. When you are renting, you live with the things that are wrong with the place, but you are not financially responsible for the maintenance or for dealing with the consequences when something goes really wrong. When you own a place, you are both noticing all the things that could be better and you are responsible for all the costs and all the risks. After owning a home for a while now, I can see the financial wisdom in renting a home and building wealth via other types of investment. Best, M. Thank you so much for that email, M. That was really thorough. I think that would help a lot of people. Everything you mentioned has been my experience too. You know, my boyfriend actually just sent me a a link from uh, Money with Katie, who was one of our guests, about how one of the, the number one city that it might be better to rent than buy was Los Angeles which is where I live. So it's interesting. He and I have been talking about that a lot. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Speaking of housing, okay, let's do a a voicemail about housing. Hi, Gabe. My name is Anna and I use she, her pronouns. And I've been really enjoying your podcast and I know you've done a couple of episodes or at least one specifically on home buying and home ownership, but I wasn't sure if you had done anything specifically on affordable home ownership programs. So I thought I would share a little bit of what I've learned in the process of trying to buy an affordable home in Colorado. So the first thing is that at least in Colorado, I have found two different types of programs. There is the HUD, affordable homeownership sort of homes that you can find throughout the state of Colorado. And then there's things called community land trusts. 
So for the HUD homes, I'll go over first because those are pretty straightforward and have similar requirements with the community land trust. But the way that HUD sets affordable homeownership requirements is that in order to be eligible, you have to make between 40 and 80 percent of the median income of your area. Here in Denver, that happens to be about $69,000 a year for a single person would be the cap. Um, So you cannot make any more than that. And about $79,000 a year for two people. You also have an asset limit. I'm forgetting the numbers right now, but when I applied earlier this year, it was about $70,000 worth of assets, not counting retirement accounts. And you also have to keep your debt to income ratio when you keep the, the mortgage in mind and everything at 35%. So you cannot have more than 35% of or of your income, total income going towards debt, including the mortgage. So mm. those are the basic requirements to be eligible for most of these programs, both the HUD homes and the community land trust models that I have found here in Colorado. For the HUD homes, first of all, there are currently, I looked on the website today, only 18 homes in the entire state <laughs> through this program. Oh. They're really hard to come by and most of them are under contract. And if you happen to see one that goes in the market pretty quickly, you have to basically run to a realtor and be like, can you show me this home right away or try to call the person right away and try to get a bid. So obviously you have to do this after you've already been pre-approved for a loan, which is also confusing. Basically, you you, you are only able to apply for this program once you're under contract which is bonkers to me because you don't even know if you'll be approved or fully eligible and you go under contract and then you go through the process, which could take months. So that one's a little confusing to me. I have not bought a home that way, but I've had friends that have done it and they said it took a long time, but it worked and they have affordable homes. The way that those homes stay affordable, well, they're usually priced pretty well. So let's think of a townhouse that would typically be about $500,000 in the regular market here, like a two to three bedroom, one and a half bath situation. That's the market where I live. It would be easily half of that in the affordable homeownership program. But if it accrues value over time after you buy it, so let's say you bought it at 250000 and then five years later, it says it's worth 290000 you would only be able to sell it for 260000 because it limits the amount of revenue you can get from selling an affordable income house. That is usually in the deed. Now, let's talk about community land trust models, which are similar in a lot of ways, except that the way that they work is that the land trust owns the land and you basically buy the home on the land. And because the land trust owns the land, they do a similar thing, as I just mentioned with the other HUD homes, is that they make it so that you can only sell the home for about 25% of the added value that you got from it during the time that you lived in it. So the point is these programs are intended for you to buy a house because you need to live in it. You're not necessarily going to earn as much equity living in these homes. But one of the pros of them is that as opposed to things like affordable housing, where you have to keep an income requirement the entire time that you live there, affordable homeownership only requires that you meet the income limits when you buy. If the next year you get a job where you make twice as much, they don't care. They want you to build equity. They want you to build more value. It is just intended as an entryway. So I personally have looked at more of the community land trust models because they have specific homes that seemed, I don't know, to me originally easier to get. And I'll just say that the application process is frustrating and arduous. A lot of these, first of all, there's different land trusts that have different requirements. Habitat for Humanity has one that requires things like sweat equity, where you have to participate in a home building model or put in volunteer hours into home building in order to qualify. 
There's other land trusts that require that you live in the home for a certain minimum amount of years, which I did not feel comfortable with because I like the idea of being able to move if I absolutely need to, or you never know what's going to happen in life. So the land trust that I went with seemed pretty good. And it had, you could see the the homes that were available already. And it seemed originally to me like I would be able to get a decent enough mortgage to cover some of those things. So the way that it works is you usually have to pay a fee for an application for the land trust that I looked at was $25. You have to go through a home ownership class and you have to submit like, basically uh, all of the financial paperwork you potentially could think of. Not to mention this, because you have to also get approved by a lender, this runs a credit check into your background. So that's something you have to consider before you even get ahead. But so I did all the things. It took like a couple of months to go through the application, go through the classes, get approved by a lender, get approved for this program. And then I found out that the amount that I was approved for of all the houses that they had available in the program would only cover one of the homes. And unfortunately, while it is a lovely home in many ways, it is very far away from work and it is not in an area I particularly want to live in. And wow. it is just not not ideal for a lot of reasons. And I'm really torn because I have this opportunity that I worked so hard to get to buy this home that would be, you know, like over a 45 minute commute to work, but maybe it's worth it. Really far away from friends and my community here. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to decide if it is worth it for the sake of owning home. And the more that I think about it, when I look at the breakdown, it has an HOA. The mortgage would still be kind of comparable to a lot of rent. But where I live here in Colorado, it is one of those rare cities where renting is actually cheaper than home ownership. So when you consider that, it would be actually a really good deal, but still a lot of money for not an ideal house and a commitment I'm not sure I want to make. So I'm really frustrated, even in these moments when you you do everything right, you're one of the few people who can thread this needle of being eligible in this program. It's still not ideal and the, the availability is so low. So anyway... Sorry, I wanted to vent a little bit about that process, but I hope that's helpful for some people and that people can know that while I did say it was arduous, you you can apply to these programs. If they're in your area, you should look into it. If you really want to buy a home and have some of those means that I've mentioned, I think it's worth it, even if it might take a long time. Thanks. Wow, that was so useful. That was, thank you so much for that message. That's like, that's the type of stuff that like I can't bring to this show, but I'm so lucky to have listeners who can, you know, I don't have experience with every single thing. And so this was like so great and also just like so step by step and thorough. And I, I just really, really appreciate you calling in. That does suck that there was only one option. I was lightly surprised to hear that there weren't that many options for houses, but I shouldn't have been. It makes total sense. It is the thing of where you're going and actually using the services only to find out the limitations of those services. So, you know, it seems like you've done your due diligence, but that is that is a very that would have been a real conundrum for me, too. I don't know. I would have been really uh, hung up on that choice. Also, I don't envy you. Yeah. Other people have had who have worked with HUD. Let me know. Write in to gabeisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. It's very, very interesting you know, any anyone who has used any sort of assistance program, I would love to hear how it actually went for you. Not just home ownership, but any any kind, food, you know, other types of housing, anything. Getting more on the ground stories from from these social services rather than just preaching them is beneficial to everyone. 
If you want to follow us, you can follow us at BWM pod on Instagram or at Gabe S. Dunn on Instagram. Also, patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn to help support the show. Keep the show going. Allow me to pay people who work on the show and you can get all these episodes ad free, plus other stuff that I choose to post on there, you know, writing and photos and other stuff. Yeah. And if you want to write in, it's Gabe is bad with money at gmail.com. Thank you so much. I love you guys. I'll let you go into a Friday. Bye. Bad with Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual, produced by Melissa D. Monts and Diamond M. Print Productions, edited by Diane King, post-production sound by Coco Lorenz, and music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye.